Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. Father, we're thankful for your grace and for your goodness to us. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for this time where we look into your word. We pray that your spirit would help us to truly comprehend what you are saying and what it means for us today and what it means for our future. Father, we pray that your spirit would fill each of us, give us the, the mind of Jesus and a, a heart ready and willing and zealous to follow him where he leads us. Please help me, Father, as I speak, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would truly be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Help everyone who hears, Lord, that you would teach each of us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, make us more like Jesus than we have been before. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning I want to talk with you about... Uh, from the subject, Saved by the Blood. Saved by the Blood. We've been singing about the power of Jesus' blood, and this morning I want to talk to you about how that theme, that reality, is true uh, all over the Bible, and how it was true uh, for the first nation uh, that God had uh, elected, the nation of Israel. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Exodus uh, 12, Exodus chapter 12. Begin reading at the first uh, verse, Exodus 12. Please hear God's word. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each man can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it, do not eat any of it, raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. 
On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this, this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of, of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your plans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, promised you shall keep his service, this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Saved by the blood. Um, this, um, uh, the aim of this message, and it seems the aim of the passage here, is that our life, a life of worship, would flow from being redeemed in Christ Jesus. A life of true worship and service, a life of obedience, would be the result of believing in what God has done in his Son uh, to save and to deliver us. Uh, last week we saw how the Lord's mission was to be known. Uh, today we see that the Lord's desire is to be enjoyed, celebrated, savored, and obey. Uh, the, the end result of being known is, is not just that God would be an acquaintance of ours, but that he would be our Lord. Uh, when, when, I, when I got married, I had uh, so much fun. Um, my wife is not here. She's on her way. <laughs> it just seems ironic to be talking about how much fun I had on my wedding. My wife is not here. Um, but anyway, when, I, when we got married, um, I had so much fun. I did not want the celebration to end. And uh, my dad always taught me, uh, stay on your honeymoon. Don't ever get off your honeymoon. And uh, provided your honeymoon was actually a good honeymoon. Um, uh, but the, uh, the point is that um, there, was a, there was like a, it was a life-changing uh, event. It was, uh, it was a brand new beginning. Everything was new. I saw a couple 
this week in Whole Foods and they just had their first baby and, and I said, is it your first? And they said, yeah. I said, isn't everything in the world new? And they said, yeah, everything's brand new. And uh, so we talked about that a little bit. It was fun. It's always fun to get a brand new whatever. You know, it might be a brand new car, right? A brand new job, no doubt. Uh, some of you are celebrating that. And everything is brand new. And, um, but, but above all of these things that we can experience in life, uh, the joys that you might have, nothing uh, begins to scratch the surface of, of topping or even coming a near close. It's not even in the room. Uh, with, with what God has done in Jesus Christ for you. And the newness of that, uh, the new creation that he's brought into, into, um, into reality. You see in, in verse 2 of chapter 12, it says that this, this month that God was going to bring his people out was a brand, new, a brand new beginning for them. It was the first month for them. It was the chief month for them because it was the month that testified to what God had done for them and, and the relationship they had with him. If you recall, uh, towards the beginning of this year, we spoke from the last chapter of the book of Exodus, chapter 40, and there, uh, after the tabernacle is built, the Lord instructs Moses on the first day of the first month to build the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And so it is appropriate, looking forward to the dwelling of God, that in that same month, God would instruct his people to celebrate the very reason why and the very reason how God could even dwell with them. Um, we're sinful people, and, and God insulates himself, as it were. He puts a barrier up so that, so that we don't get destroyed because of his presence. In Psalm 97, it says that the mountains melt at the presence of of the Lord. He didn't tell the mountains to melt. That's the point. They just melted because he showed up. And so, in like manner, when God is present, God is holy, 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 and there needs to be some kind of barrier, some type of insulation with regard to sinful people. And uh, that insulation is the blood of the Lamb. It's, it's, the, it's the very thing that takes away the sin that causes the danger of being in the presence of God. Remember how John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's because of that removal of sin that we are able to, to dwell with God. A new beginning is what is celebrated no matter what your past might be, no matter where you come from, God promises a new beginning. This, this particular lamb, this, this blood, changes everything about you and everything for you. Um, the entire congregation, it is said, was to celebrate this. This wasn't some select group or elite group. It wasn't just the Levites or some leaders. It was every single person in Israel was to, to take time to celebrate what God was doing. Um, and that, that's instructive for us, that, that celebrating the gospel, celebrating what God has done, is not something simply for, for pastors or leaders, as you know. It's something that is to be done by every single person who claims the name of Jesus Christ. 
And um, God says here that um, they are to pick a particular type of, of, um, of animal, uh, whether it was a sheep or a goat, a lamb or a goat, uh, it didn't matter, but it was a lamb that was without blemish, a male, a year old. And um, a year old, a year was for a male, it was the prime of life for that animal. It was the time when they started to reproduce and, and bear fruit. It was, their, it was at their strongest uh, point, is that a year old was, and um, without blemish, it was to be a perfect animal. And you can't read this without uh, seeing in this a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. When Christ Jesus came into Jerusalem, uh, he was presenting himself as uh, the Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb. When he rode in on the donkey, that's what he was saying. That's one of the things that was being communicated by him entering into Jerusalem at that particular time around Passover. He was presenting himself as the chief lamb, the, 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 the final lamb, as it were. And um, just like uh, here, they are to select that animal on the 10th day, and it wasn't until the 14th day that they were to sacrifice that animal. And um, there are many um, uh, scholars who, will, who recognize that Jesus came in to Jerusalem, and it was four days later when he was brought up on charges and crucified. And so it is interesting how you see this imagery going on all the way back um, uh, here. Um, it was a day of salvation. It was a day to prepare. Um, the first reason, obviously, other reasons why he was brought in on the tenth day is that God was going to, to, to bring judgment on the fourteenth day, on the night of the Passover. And so people can't be scrambling around for a lamb at that point. They need a lamb secured. And uh, that's instructive for us, that there is a judgment coming. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that there's judgment. And, and, and that's not the time to start scrambling around for a Savior. You need to have secured the Savior now. Now is a day of salvation. Uh, now is a time where God actually hears the prayers of sinners. Once you leave this earth, there's no more praying that you can do that's going to save you. Now is this time. And, um, and the second reason is that, um, that not only to secure the lamb, um, but to, uh, the lamb was taken in order to receive uh, the benefits um, to give to others. The word take here is the same word used uh, in Genesis 3 when Eve took from the fruit because she was looking forward to getting something from it. And so the people here are commanded to take, to receive, but not simply to receive but also to give to others. And we'll see that, Lord willing, in the third point, as, um, as that's highlighted there. Um, but this perfect sacrifice um, that God had commanded them to bring, and it was, a, it was a corporate killing. You have to picture this in verse 6, how, how at twilight, on the 14th day, the whole congregation was to kill this lamb, their, their particular lamb. And you have to see in that, this, this in Egypt, all of these thousands and thousands of houses at twilight killing this lamb. It was a corporate action that they all were celebrating this. And, um, 
We can't fail to see in that, uh, even in our weekly worship, that there is every week thousands and even millions of people now all over the world celebrating the Lamb, celebrating what he's done to bring about uh, salvation. Um, and the blood uh, was used um, in verse 7, the blood was to be put on the doorposts and on the lentil, and Matthew Henry um, mentions in his commentary, it was not to be put on the threshold where people stood, lest it be the imagery of someone trampling on that blood to be given, and that's picked up in the book of Hebrews. But on the doorposts and on the lentil, it was a, it was a way of cleansing the door. Blood in the Old Testament is, is for cleansing. It is for cleansing, and you see that highlighted if you look over uh, at verse 23 of chapter uh, 12. Uh, it's something, something else is going on. Look at what it says. It says, for the Lord will pass through and st to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And so the destroyer is indiscriminate in its action. It comes to kill. It comes to destroy. But in the cleansing of the doorway, the Lord passes over the door and he stands there and he tells the destroyer to move on. And so there is an imagery of the Lord himself standing guard at the door and not allowing. It's like the destroyer wants to come in, but the Lord is stopping the destroyer and not allowing that destroyer to enter the house to kill any of the firstborn. And um, you see that uh, in, in, in the cross of Christ, where Jesus himself sheds his blood for cleansing, for the removal of guilt, for the removal of sin, so that the wrath of God must pass by us, must move on, as it were. Um, you, you, you see also in this imagery of, of this sacrifice animal, that there is a death, there is a sacrifice. This is obvious, but it's not so obvious when you think about the fact that this also deals with our sin, that our sin needs to be cleansed. We need to be washed in order for God to be present and in order for destruction to move on and pass on. And that um, it's necessary for this action to take place. It was necessary at this time. Um, no blood on the uh, door meant death, and the Egyptians would, would die. We, we spoke last week how, how there was not one house in the Egyptian, in Egypt, uh, where this was taking place. There wasn't one house without someone dead, because there was not a faith in the blood. And this animal that was to be taken, this sheep was to be eaten. It says in verse uh, 5 and some other verses as well that the person was to take an animal enough to eat and the animal was to be roasted on fire. Uh, there was no time to boil water. There was no time to, uh, to prepare a meal any other way. Just put the animal on a skewer and just roast the animal. Um, Matthew Henry, again in his commentary, points out how uh, Christ is the one who received the fire of God's wrath as this animal received the fire of roasting <clears throat> when it was roasted to be eaten. And um, 
Some of the things that are clear in this passage, very obvious, um, is an incorporation of this animal. Not only does the blood cover the house, but this animal fills the people. He fills the worshipers. And, and you can't lose the imagery of taking Christ into yourself, being really united with Jesus, being taken, taking Jesus internally, as well as being cleansed by him, protected by him. The wrath of God moves on from you, but there is an incorporation of Christ. These people were to eat up this animal and they were to eat the whole animal, the entrails, every part of the animal, and whatever was left over was not to be left to burn, to rot, but to be burnt up. This whole animal was consumed. <clears throat> Sometimes in our Christian life, we like certain parts of Jesus, but other parts of Jesus we don't appreciate so much. Uh, we like the priesthood of Jesus, because that's when he's on a cross dying for our sin. We liked his intercession as a priest because he's praying on our behalf. But somehow, sometimes, the, the prophetic ministry of Christ is lost upon us. That Jesus telling us what to do is lost on us. And, and his kingship, he's, he rules, he comes to rule, he comes to take over our lives and to fully lord over us, as it were, and to rule every aspect of our being. That every, every part of us belongs to him. Every part of us is his. He didn't just buy our souls on the cross. He, he bought our bodies on the cross as well. And every single uh, a part of us is to, be, is to bow to Jesus. Every part is to, be, is to be owned by our Lord and ruled by our Lord. And, uh, and sometimes um, when, when I was growing up, people used to say... Um, I've come to Jesus for salvation, but I've got to make him my Lord. He's not my Lord yet. And um, it's, it's a false gospel. Uh, anyone Jesus saves, he saves them from something, but also saves them to something. It's the same thing when he brought his people out of, out of bondage. He just didn't liberate them. They were being brought out from underneath one master, Pharaoh, but they were being brought under another master, Yahweh. And so there's, there's never a, a neutral ground, or there's, a, uh, there's no play in that. Uh, Jesus is either ruling your life, or he's not ruling your life. He either is your Lord, or he's not your Savior either. And, and so there, there is, a, you know, when Paul prayed that um, according to the riches of God's glory, he'd strengthen us with power, by his spirit in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that, that our lives would be rooted and grounded in a life of love. And, and the, the prayer goes on to say that, that we would be uh, strengthened by, by not only by Jesus dwelling in us, but that Jesus would unfold for us the breadth and length, the height and depth, that we would really know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We would know something that can't be known fully. And the end result of that, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. That God would simply take over everything in our life. That is the point that's being given here, that people were to eat the whole of Christ, the whole of this Passover lamb, in order that their whole lives would be brand new. Um... And then notice the manner in which they are to eat it, that, 
that corresponds with the fact that they've eaten, eaten the, whole, the whole lamb. They're to eat it in verse 11 uh, with, with their belt fastened, with their loins girded. You know, back in the ancient world, people wore robes, and you can't run, you can't move quickly with robes. You had to lift your robes up and, and tie them in your belt so that your legs were free to run. And that's the manner in which they were to, to, to eat this. They were to eat it with their loins girded, with their, with their sandals on their feet. They're ready to move. And, and, and slaves are the ones who, who go barefoot. But sandals on your feet. Remember how the prodigal son came home and, and he was barefoot. And um, he said, I want to just be a slave, a servant in your house. He, he didn't actually get to say that to his father. He was planning to say that. But his father's reception of him interrupted his confession of sin. That's how God is, that when you come confessing, he comes running. And, and he interrupted his confession of sin, and he said, he told the servants, put shoes on this son of mine's feet, because he won't operate barefoot as a slave, but he will be a son. And these sandals on, your, on their feet were to communicate that reality to them, that God is calling out, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may worship me and serve me. With their staff in their hand, they're going on a journey, and you shall eat it in haste. They don't want to eat and run, but you've got to eat and run sometimes, you know. And they had to eat and run. They were to eat it in haste. They weren't, they weren't to sit around and talk as it's normal in, in ancient culture to sit and lay down on your elbow and, and just spend time eating and feasting and rejoicing and enjoying each other's presence. This was a move. They were, had to eat this quickly. They were going to go out of here. And it is, the, it is the Lord's Passover. And God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And here you see um, uh, the, uh, um, the, the mocking of Pharaoh. Because there was a festival in Egypt called the Seed Festival where, where Pharaoh would go throughout the land and he would just visit wherever he wanted to visit. He'd go all over his land. It was a way of him showing that he was dominant, that he was the lord of the land, that he could go wherever he wanted to go and nobody could stop him. And that was his way of, of asserting his authority as Pharaoh. And here God is mocking uh, Pharaoh by going all throughout the land wherever he wants to go and he's actually uh, killing people, Egyptians, in the process, rubbing it in that, that Pharaoh is not the lord of this land. This land belongs to God. And these people belong to God. And he's, he's endeavoring and going to take them out of this place to a, a better land, a promised land. And so you see here this, this hasty meal. And, and the reason why there's a hasty meal is because God is not going to procrastinate. God is not about procrastinating. God is in a hurry to save. God is in a hurry to save each one of us. And we, in response to that zeal of the Lord, have to be in a hurry to partner with God in that process. And so what that means for us is that we have to be people who hastily turn away from sin who hastily would turn away from sinful places, turn away from idols, turn away from false gods. We saw a little bit of that last week as well, but, but these people are being instructed to leave Egypt in a hurry because God 
is for them and is not against them and is endeavoring to save them. And so they have to be, be aligned with God. You can <clears throat> recall uh, the parable of the, the ten uh, virgins and uh, five were wise and five were foolish and five had prepared themselves and were ready for the bridegroom and five were foolish and didn't prepare themselves and had to go buy oil and when the bridegroom came and went, they were lost because they hadn't <clears throat> taken the salvation of God seriously. They hadn't taken the, the call of the bridegroom seriously. That the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is ready to save. Now is the day. And, and, and we should, in light of that, be in a hurry to realize the salvation, to experience uh, the benefit, the blessing of salvation that he comes to give and not waste time. We see this in our own daily life, a daily life of, uh, called a, a daily life of faith and a daily life of repentance. That when, when idolatry is identified, when sinful places in our life are identified, we should be in a hurry to turn aside and, and run away from those, those places. And notice that it's that, that hasty uh, leaving while they were eating. That, that you cannot have the attitude of haste and the attitude of, of I, want, I want to be done with sin, I want, to be, I want to be over with sin, I want to get away from sin. You can't have that attitude, that zeal, unless you're feeding on the land. Uh, which um, brings us to our, our second point. Not only does the Lord save you by his land, the Lord <clears throat> sanctifies you by his, his load. Um, you see in verses 14 through 20, this, this, this meal that was to be celebrated, this first Passover, was something that God wanted to really rub into his people's lives. For seven days, you know, from the 10th day, you get the lamb. From the 14th day, you sacrifice the lamb and eat the Passover. But from the 14th day to the 21st day, you eat unleavened bread and nothing but unleavened bread. And you better not have any leaven in your house. And, 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 and it's, notice how it's, it's said how the person is to remove, in verse 15, all of the leaven. And Jewish tradition talks about how, how the father, the, the, the head of the household, would go around with a candle and look for leaven all over the house with his, with his sons and with his family. They would search out and look for leaven and remove all of the leaven from their houses. Uh, and then they would, they would feast on unleavened bread. And again, you can't help but see in this Jesus crying out, I am the bread of life. And, uh, and, and he, he says in that chapter, in chapter 6, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And then he, he, he explains what he means by that, that the flesh is of no account, it's the words that I have spoken to you. And that, that, that Greek word in John 6 means to, to munch. It means to feed on Jesus, to feed on his words, to feed on his words. His word is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And, and we are called to feed on him. And it's for a whole seven days, for a whole week. And the imagery of new creation is seen here again. For a whole week, these these Israelites were to eat unleavened bread uh, for seven whole days. And if leaven was found, that person was cut off. 
and no work was to be done because what's amplified in this, these seven days is the work of God. Not my work, but God's work. On the Day of Atonement, you'd be put to death in the Old Testament if you did work on the Day of Atonement because that day was the day when God was doing His work. Even the, the priest who entered into uh, the temple on the Day of Atonement, he wore a different garment. Before, he had this beautiful blue robe with the, the breastplate and all of the headdress and everything. But on this day, the Day of Atonement, he was to wear just a white turban and a white robe. And it was to be made out of linen. Because in Ezekiel, it teaches us that linen keeps you from sweating. And sweat represents work, your work. But on the Day of Atonement, the priest was not to sweat. God was sweating. He was the one who was doing the work. And that's emphasized and foreshadowed here when in no person, in verse 16, it says, no work shall be done on those days, but that everyone needs to eat alone may be prepared. And, and <clears throat> the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a, a day of recognizing uh, the, the speed at which God was ready to reveal his salvation to his people and judge uh, their foes. Um, and these were to be holy assemblies. Uh, it says in verse 16, on the first day you will hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day you will hold a holy assembly, that these were to be gatherings of God's people in worship. And um, in, in, in our application of these verses, uh, two things at least come out of this is that there's a need to daily feed on Jesus. And there's a need to do that in the context of God's people. It was an assembly. It wasn't an individual act. It was a corporate act that was being done in these verses. Now, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, see to it that there's not a sinful or unbelieving heart in any of you that turns away from the living God, but exhort one another every day while it is called today. You notice the balance of those verses. The first verse says, see to it that there's not a sinful, unbelieving heart in anyone that turns away from the living God. Well, how are you going to do that? You exhort one another every day while it is called today, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. That we need one another to speak words of exhortation on a daily basis. Now, in the book of Hebrews, it was speaking to a people who were under great persecution uh, and great temptation to turn back to Judaism. And it was in that context that those verses come. But there is uh, plenty of scriptural uh, backing to a daily exhortation. You find it at the end of, of Proverbs chapter 8, where, where the, uh, the sons are asked to daily watch at God's door, the Father's door, and to hear his words in order to feed on those words and to move forward in their life of faith that you and I need encouragement, we need exhortation from each other on a daily basis. And here, God aims to, uh, to really promote that in the life of his people by after the Passover meal was done, you figure it was done, okay, we, we've celebrated, it's, it's good, we're good to go, but seven days later, for the next seven days, they were to eat unleavened bread to really rub into their life the reality of what just happened here. And uh, we need that on a daily basis to have uh, God's truth really um, uh, 
rubbed into our hearts, into our thinking. Uh, we need, basically, to be brainwashed. Um, we need our brain washed with the Word of God. Uh, this first psalm teaches us that. Um, blessed is the man who doesn't walk and doesn't stand and doesn't sit, but his delight is in the word of the Lord every day, day and night. He meditates on that word. He, he tells himself, he speaks to himself about that word of uh, the gospel. The way to keep in step with the Lord, the way to abide in him, is to have his words abide in us. How is your time with God? Is there a set-apart time on a daily basis where, number one, you sit before the word of Jesus and you listen to what he says, and number two, you're interacting with his people at some level, exhorting and being exhorted to persevere in your faith, where you may be texting people saying, hey, this is where I need prayer, and this is where I need counsel and exhortation, that you're not hiding that stuff and insulating yourself and isolating yourself from one another, but constantly communicating the truth of the gospel to one another, being open and transparent where it's, where, where it's appropriate and letting people into your world and into your life. Um, it's part of uh, one of the reasons why um, we want to have a small group as well in our, in our family and be, be a part of that. We've, we've, we've got, I mean, I have about three or four mentors that I talk to regularly, but I also need uh, more. We need more in our life. We need more teaching. Leaven is often considered in the Bible false teaching. You can recall the passages in the New Testament where Jesus speaks of the leaven of the Pharisees and the, and, uh, the scribes. And he's, he's referring to their teaching. And, and in the particular context where that comes out, he's, he's referring not simply to uh, some falsities in their teaching, but, but their manner of teaching. You can recall how he said about the Pharisees, do what they say because they sit in Moses' seat, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. And so it's not, teaching is not simply a communication, but it's also a lifestyle. We communicate, we teach with the way we live. You see that when you parent, you see that you don't even have to be a parent. Anytime you're around people, um, it has an impact on our lives. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, this particular chapter in, in Exodus is picked up on in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 um, where Paul is actually uh, rebuking the church at Corinth because of immorality among them that they're not handling, they're not dealing with. And, um, and his response to them in, in verse 7 is uh, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. And here's the reason why. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so, so Paul is, is pointing out there that there has to be this inward genuineness, this inward authentic, authentic, authenticity uh, brought on by the Spirit of God, an inward sincerity, uh, an inward leaven, a new leaven, a new uh, change. Get rid of the old leaven. Get rid of the ways of deceit and um, malice and evil. Get rid of the sin. 
And here's the reason why. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And let's continue to feast. And that's what this passage teaches. The first 13 verses teaches Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And verse 14 through 20 in chapter 12 says, let's continue that feast. Let's continue celebrating what God has done. Because that's the only way that's going to keep us fresh and walking with the Lord. That's one of the things that we do when we come here week after week and celebrate the Lord on the Sabbath, on the, on the Lord's Day. Uh, this day is meant to influence and impact the rest of your week. This day is like a power meal, if you will. It's like a power shot. It's a, it's a real shot in the arm, or a shot in the heart, I should say. You know, um, one of the things that um, uh, I believe they still do, the nurse here can correct me if I'm wrong, but when people used to lose their, their heartbeat, they would take a, a syringe and hit them with a, with, a, with a shot of adrenaline, and it would excite their heart. I don't know if they still do that, but they, they used to do that. And, and, and coming on Sunday is supposed to be a shot in your heart. It's supposed to be a day of celebration, a day of, of really learning from one another and learning from the Lord and um, coloring the rest of your week. Um, which brings us, obviously, the influence of this brings us to the third point. The Lord supports you with his lessons. And you see that as the elders are highlighted in verse 21. It's the elders who are called, the heads of household who are called to take this lamb, to take them into their houses, to kill this lamb, and to take the hyssop, um, uh, and to, put the, to paint the doorposts and to paint the lentil um, with this, uh, because the Lord was passing over. And, and the end result of this, you see in verses 24 through 28, we shall observe this right in the statue, it's for you, but it's also for your sons. That the way you worship, even if you're single and unmarried, the way you worship when you get married, if you do, and if you don't, that's fine too, because God called people to be single. You know, Jesus was single, at least physically he was. Um, and um, I, you know, I was a bachelor to the rapture at one point, as they say. And, um, and I, I, I said something to God, maybe I should have said, maybe I shouldn't have said, but I said, you know, this, day, this year, if I don't find somebody, I'm going to take a vow of celibacy. And I was a little nutty back then, you know. And, um, <laughs> and so, and, and that was the year I met my wife. And um, I don't recommend that behavior. Um, not because of what my wife means to me. See, I'm just going all the way down into a hole. You see that, but... I love my wife, and she's here finally, thank you. Um, but, but the point is that I, you don't put God, I don't think I was putting him to the test. I was really saying, you know, I'm fed up with, with all of this, with the dating sites and all that and the dating scene, you know. I need, some, I, need, I need a hand of God to do something different. And that's what he did. But, but the point is that there is a, we, we influence everyone around us. Your behavior impacts everyone. Um, in verse 25, it says, when you come to the land and that the Lord gives you, and you keep this service as he's commanded, and verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And, you know, here's the back question. Are your kids asking you about why you worship God? Is, is, is your worship of God, your celebration of God, is it that attractive? that your children are actually asking questions about it. And um, 
it's, it's always a joy. We see um, more young people come to believe in Jesus. It's, you know, I have no greater joy, John said, than to know that my children walk in the truth. My mother used to tell me all the time, Brian, you can be a great success, but if you don't know Jesus, you're a failure. And I'm a failure as a parent. And, um, but these children, they were, they were, God anticipates something. He anticipates that there's going to come a time when your children ask you, why do you do this? Why are we doing this every year? We did this last year. Why are we doing it again? Why are we celebrating like this? And, and perhaps that's the question we should pray to God would ask, that our children would ask us, why do we go to church every week? Why do we keep coming here and singing and listening to some, some talking head and, and so forth? And uh, uh, why do we do this? And, and so then the parents have to be prepared enough to say, educated enough to say, it's not simply the elders, it's every single parent, it's every single person is educated enough to say, this is the reason why. That everybody should be able to say, this is why we believe what we believe. It's not just the leadership, it's every single person. It's the priesthood of all believers. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a peculiar people, and we're all called to declare the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not something simply for the guys up front, it's for something for every single person. And you know that, but it's something that we need reminders of that we need that type of, of care for and influence of the next generation. You know, Hezekiah was, was, was one of the kings in, in, um, in the Old Covenant. And, and there came a time where, where Isaiah brought a word to Hezekiah and said, you know, your life is over. You're going to die. And Hezekiah got down on his knees and he prayed and prayed. And then God came back to, and said to Isaiah, okay, you're not going to die. I'll give you some more years to live. And then, then some envoys came from Babylon, and he showed him everything, and Isaiah rebuked Hezekiah because he said, you showed him everything. And he said, this same king's going to come back one day and take everything away from you. And Hezekiah's response is classic. That's okay. It'll be fine in my day. That's for my kids. What an attitude. What a poor attitude that everything is okay with me, but... That's for my kids to figure out. It's like the person riding around with a bumper sticker that says, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. We chuckle at it, but it really shows a, a type of attitude. I mean, you may, maybe, maybe you didn't meet their kids, but, um, but it shows a type of attitude that is wrong. And here's the type of attitude that we should have. Read it in Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And it goes into that, and it says, we will, which we commanded our fathers to teach their children so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. That what this passage teaches us in the end of this passage, verses 21 to 28, it highlights uh, the need to have a, a, a house that is a center of worship, 
that you, let, let, may your house be a place of worship. Wherever you and your family reside, whether you're a family of one or a family of, of eight or ten or whatever the case might be, may your house be a place of worship. To such a degree that children are rising up asking, why is it that we sing? Why is it that we worship? Why is it that we celebrate? Why is it that when Christmas comes, we talk a lot about the birth of Jesus? I mean, Jesus wasn't born December 25th. That's not the point. Uh, but the point is that there's a time set aside to celebrate his birth, to celebrate his death, to celebrate his resurrection. Why do these things? It's so that you might know the Lord and rise up and that you might be faithful to him, a faithful lover of the Lamb, a faithful partaker of the Lamb, faithfully cleansed by the Lamb, and a faithful servant of the Lamb. When Israel arrived in the land, they were to celebrate. We are to celebrate. And the end result, you see in verse 27, is that the people would bow down their heads and worship. The only appropriate response is obedience that's fueled by faith-filled, spirit-led, humble, grateful worship. We don't worship, we don't humble ourselves, we don't give thanks because of something we've done. We give thanks and worship because of what Jesus has done in dying on the cross, in being the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin and has removed the scourge, has removed the scourge, has removed uh, um, the, the, the rebellion from, from our hearts and has stood, as it were, not at the door, but has hung on the cross, naked, humiliated, beat up, bloodied, and bruised so that the strike of God might hit him and it might pass by us so that we might feast on him and celebrate him so that the next generation would also be great worshipers of the living God. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you for your, your grace and goodness. We thank you that through the blood of the Lamb, we really are saved and delivered. Father, we're thankful that through Jesus, who not only hung on the cross, but he is the way to you. Father, I pray that in our, in our daily lives, we would worship you. We would feed on you. We would spend time with you. That our houses would be places of worship. That just like uh, the Father would go around and remove the leaven from the house, that we go around our own houses, there may be things there that don't belong there. Things there that don't shout and speak of the reign of Christ, but actually the remnant of Satan. That those things would be taken out of our houses, taken out of our hearts, Lord Jesus, you would rule us and you would rule every part of us. Because you have a right, you bought us with your blood. You have bought us with your precious shed blood on the cross. Father, help us never to forget, as we're on our way to the table, Lord, help us never to forget your life given, your blood spilled, so that we might be made brand new. That our hearts might be new, that our old leaven might be removed, that a, a new way of living might start and continue. Father, please do this for your glory. Please do this for your praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.